Good morning. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Look at your neighbor and tell him we serve a great God who does great things. Let's give him some honor and worship today.
Come on, let's magnify the Lord together right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So good to see each and every one of you in the house this morning. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad to be worshiping next to you this morning. We want to go to the Lord right now in prayer and just ask for God's strength, for his touch. For him to minister in this house and to touch needs in this place this morning. If you have a need, why don't you lift up your hand represent that need right now. Go ahead and speak it out right now. Go ahead and speak it out. Hallelujah. You might have more than one. Go ahead and take your time. Hallelujah. Now all together, in sincerity, heartfelt, let's begin to engage with God right now. and Cast our cares on him. For he careth for us. Hallelujah. To make our petitions known unto God. Come on, lift up your hearts. Lift up your voice. Let's pray together right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Right now. Right now, right now, right now. Minister in this house, Lord, every need. Every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Lord. God, touch and minister, I pray. Heal, deliver, set free, draw by your spirit. Do what only you can do, God. Save in this place this morning, Lord. God, our needs bring them before you. We cast them upon you. We're dependent on you, Lord, to make a way where there seemeth to be no way. Dependent on you, God, to make a difference in our life, to make a difference in other people's lives. Touch right now. Strengthen right now. Minister right now in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, we'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise that's due your name. If you could at this moment, just lift your hands heavenward right now all across this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, take your time for a moment here. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. We lean on you, Lord. We lean on you, Lord. We trust in you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Believe in God, believe in God exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Touch homes, touch families right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord. Somebody say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't you turn to two or three right now. High five, fist bump, tell somebody you're glad to see them in the house. Hallelujah. Good to feel the touch of the Lord. Hallelujah. So good to see each one of you in the place this morning. What a great time we had here on Thursday night this past week. We had at least one filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let's give God praise for that. Thanks for that. Hallelujah. Great time we had here in the 9 a.m. morning. Expecting the very same, if not better, right here, right now. Somebody say amen. 
Put a smile on your face. Look at your neighbor and say, God is going to make a difference in your life. God's going to make a difference in your life. Today, we launch into our 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer and, and been announcing it for the last several weeks. At the close of the service, we have, as we always do, the index cards up here in the front along with pens Write down, don't leave the house today. Write down needs, lay them upon the altar for the next 21 days. Someone will be praying, several people will be praying for your needs. Of course, uh, we launch in today with the 21 days. We're here today, we're here right now. Uh, tomorrow morning, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., we'll be right here on Saturday at 5 PMs five to six. Now I know that everyone can't make it every day, Monday through Friday at seven. Maybe there's some of you here that can make some of those days. Some of you here can make every one of those days. But if you can't make every one of those days, I know with work schedules and with taking kids to school and getting things ready and whatnot, granted, it is a sacrifice for every single person that comes. It is a sacrifice. Sacrifice costs you something. You have to switch some things. You have to go out of your way to do it. That's what sacrifice is. It is a sacrifice for every single individual that comes all through the week. So I'm just asking that maybe you can't come every time. Maybe you can't make it Monday through Friday every time here. If you can one time, try to do it. And yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put a little uh, a wrench in your schedule maybe. Maybe get up just a little bit earlier. And, and as I've said uh, uh, in the last ones, yes, it's from 7 to 8, but I believe that it will be unlocked around 6.30. So if, you, if you're saying, oh, I've got to be at work at 7.30, it just does not seem feasible. Come at 6.30, come a little early, pray, and then leave. And, and it's, not a, it's not anything where there's exhorting. It's not anything where we dismiss. At 8 o'clock, we are done, and we will lock up. But if you can come earlier for any amount of time, do that. Even if you can't come to this location, though, every single one of us pray first. Every single one of us, before you read the email, before you hit the send button, before you send the text, before you take that phone call, before you listen to those voice messages, pray first. We need the Lord in our lives. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. So we do 21 days of prayer here in August, and if you've been here for very long, you know that we do it in January as well. January, we couple it with, with fasting and push fasting. If you want to do some type of fasting on your own in this 21 days, by all means, do that. It will, it will enhance your prayer. It will, it will benefit you greatly, but we're not going to push uh, us all together doing any specific or, t or, or type of fast, so you make your own decision on that spiritual discipline, and I encourage you to do so, but do pray. Somebody say amen. amen. If you can't make it Monday through Friday here, everybody ought to be able to make it at Saturday at 5 p.m. Saturday at 5 to 6. This house ought to be full of individuals praying, and then, of course, right back here next Sunday morning from 9 a.m. as well as 11 a.m. We're going to dismiss our children to go to their respective classes. Junior high is going to, I know it was scheduled to, to meet in this time frame in the 11 o'clock service, but we are going to keep the junior high in today because it will be a benefit to them to be in this service this morning. If you have to give, you can give by way of cash your check in the black offering bucket in the back. You can also give online at clcsugarland.com and you can also text to give God love it, the cheerful giver God bless you, you may be seated we're so glad this morning to have with us 
brother and sister Galleon, uh, hailing from Indianapolis, Indiana, and and uh, vice president. I should have got that that right on the on the first on the first service, but uh, uh, vice presidents of Indiana Bible College. And if you don't know uh, how that works, vice president pretty much runs the college, and uh, so their their workload is is enormous and the amount of effect that they have upon upon young people and people that are are, are, are attending there is is just huge and uh, god bless this couple richly for that and and they've done all kinds of different ministry from traveling around to, to stephanie's uh, dad was a missionary in the philippines and she grew up doing that type of stuff and then stephanie actually was in in bible college at ibc when i went there so known her for quite some time and and uh, pastored in alaska and 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 different things so 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 just a huge resume of different areas that they have ministered in and and ministered in the 9 a.m service and both just extraordinarily talented and we are glad glad that they're able to be with us here this morning could we stand back to our feet right now stephanie is enormously talented and she's going to come and and uh, lead us in worship for the song and uh, i just encourage when she's done uh, her husband will come and minister the word and and you are you are in for a blessing here this morning and i just encourage every single one of you to kind of get on the edge of your seat even right now and and in the worship and begin to open up your heart and allow god to minister in this house he's going to do great things if you'll let him He's going to do great things if you let him. So if you could just open up your heart, maybe lift up your hands right now and, and invite the presence of God into your life. Surrender your heart totally and completely to him as they come right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can you just lift your hands toward heaven right now? What a sweet, sweet spirit we feel in this sanctuary today. Can you just talk to him in your own words? God, I need you. I need you to touch my heart, touch my mind, God. I know, God, that without, with you, all things are possible, Lord. So I'm bringing every situation. I'm laying them at your feet. In Jesus' name, aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus? You may be seated. It's an honor and a privilege to be here today with Pastor Turnbow and his family. It's our first time in Sugarland, and it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord with you today. I'm so, so thankful for the power of the name of Jesus. Amen? I'm so thankful that I know that there's a name that I can call, and it doesn't matter what I'm going through. We could be on an icy road on our way to Chicago and about to run into a semi, and you don't have time to get down on your knees and pray for three hours and speak in tongues. But all you can do is just say, Jesus, and somehow he corrects it, and he keeps you, and he saves you. I'm so glad that I can look across a frozen pond in Alaska and I see my five-year-old fall through the ice. And if you're like me and mama doesn't know what else to do, and the only thing that I can do is just call on the name that's above every name and say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I watch as God miraculously saves my five-year-old son. So don't you tell me that there isn't power in the name of Jesus. Because I know that when you speak the name, demons trust 
tremble. Demons have to flee. And just at the mention of his name, anything can happen. So whatever you brought into this building today, just know that if you will lift your hands in the air and call on his name, anything is possible. Jesus, the most beautiful.
more time, can you just lift your hands and your voice and let's just magnify that name that is above every name. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor and praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Such a beautiful presence of the Lord here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 1. We'll also be reading from John 19. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is here and God has showed up with great purpose and great intent. Amen. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe that God randomly chooses to appear or not appear. But I believe that everything, I believe specificity is a part of Scripture. Amen. I believe that God has a very specific path, plan for your life. And I know that God is here because He has a need to be here. He responds to His people in the cry of their heart. We give honor to Pastor and Sister Turnbull. Thank you so much, your wonderful family, for allowing us to be in service with you. Amen. It is a great honor indeed. This uh, Houston, Texas is my wife's home. So she was born here. So she has returned back to her roots. Amen. Praise God. She just gets so excited every time she sees Shipley Donuts. She just... There's probably other Texas things that she gets excited about. Pecan coffee. I didn't know that was a thing in Texas, but it is apparently. Amen. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, very familiar passage of Scripture. We could quote it by heart. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I want us to turn very quickly to John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. It says, and after this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it in his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. With the help of God's Spirit, I'd like to preach this simple thought masterpiece, God's greatest masterpiece. Could we one more time just lift our hands and ask God to speak to us and have his way. Lord, we thank you for your presence, your spirit. We thank you, O oh God, for what you've done already thus far in this service, for bringing us into your presence, for touching our life, our heart, and our mind. I pray, God, that your perfect will would be done. I pray that you would reach down and touch every vessel. Pray, Lord, that you touch our ears to hear and our heart to receive. Be with us, keep us, and build our faith, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We see in this very familiar passage of Scripture, this first chapter of Genesis, we'd have to say that this is one of the most God-centered chapters in the Bible. God is mentioned by name 32 times in 31 verses. And if you were to add the use of personal pronouns, he has mentioned no less than 43 times. And thus we could say with absolute confidence that on the very first page of Scripture, the Spirit of God brings us into his presence and he keeps us there. It's no wonder that Satan has hated this chapter and has unleashed 
his heavy artillery to to try and destroy that and discredit it in the minds of men and especially children. We find in every school here in America, most schools in America, I would say, that we find that this chapter is up for debate. Genesis 1, if we ever ascribe to the thought that it is some unfactual and unreliable or as simply mere mythology of a doctrine up copy of the Babylonian creation epic, then we have totally accepted a modern science and Satan has won the victory. But I believe this, in the age of skepticism, I believe in the age of intellectualism, that God in Genesis 1 has stated something that is unrefutable, stated something that is so powerful He has allowed himself to be established on this very first passage of Scripture. And Satan cannot come against what God has stated in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. We know this, that there is evidence of God's creation. We know that there is absolute evidence that God formed creation with his hands and with his voice. And by his spirit as he moved upon void and darkness. And here's what we have as Christians We must ascribe to this thought and this process that Genesis 1 is reliable and factual. Because I believe that this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. I believe that what God has pinned on paper and allowed us to receive as His Word, I believe that this is absolutely life-changing truth. It has the ability to build faith. It has the ability to turn generations. It has the ability to bring down kings and set up kingdoms. We see in this word that there is something that takes place just by the reading of God's word. It allows us to see what is possible, what is improbable. It allows us to defy reality of life. It allows us to look at doctor's reports and know that there's another answer and a better way. It allows us to embrace truth, not just because it is written on pages of paper but because it is lived out in the hearts of men and women how many has seen God's word come true in your life and in your family how many have seen the word of God come alive and in a part wisdom and faith and hope to a dying generation God's word is able and is powerful than any two-edged sword and so if God's spirit cannot be trusted in Genesis 1 When he tells us of creation, then how can we trust God's spirit when he tells us of salvation? If what God says about the earth in Genesis 1 can be questioned, then what he says about heaven in Revelation 22 can be questioned. And if the Holy Spirit cannot be questioned in Genesis 1, then he cannot be trusted in John 3.16. You see, the importance of Genesis is emphasized by this constant use of a very significant figure of speech called a polysyndodon. Now, I'm not an English major. I'll leave that to other professors at Indiana Bible College. But I do know, and maybe some teachers are in the room, that here in a couple weeks I face this daunting task of grading 18-year-old young men and young women their papers that they submit. And God help every teacher that's here that's about to start doing that. There's going to be hours of pouring over reading these papers by highly intellectual beings that are so far superior than any of us that are older because they know everything. They really do. But here's the problem. It's so shocking when I have to sit down with that paper and and take that dreaded ink of red and I have to circle some of these horrific writings and run-on sentences and 
those papers that it's supposed to be only eight pages at the term, but yet they write a 22-page paper, possibly even with the help of AI or chat GPT or something. I don't know. But they write these papers, and, and we send it back, make it smaller, condense it, cut it down. We love your use of adjectives, but they are absolutely needless in this moment. Reconstruct this sentence. You circle those things in there, and if, if someone was writing this paper, this, this first page of Genesis, and they used all of these conjunctions in this particular sentence of speech, I, I would be obligated to circle every one of them and give them a critique. But you see, the writer, especially in the King James Version, this shows up constantly. If you were to take all of the ands in this particular portion of speech, there are almost 100 of them in Genesis 1. In ordinary writing, of course, this is usually considered an improper use of the conjunction in a specific sentence, but not so in the Bible. You see, the polysynodon is used to do one thing. You see, when you begin to read Scripture, the polysynodon is inserted by the writer to slow us down. You see, God does not want us just to blaze through His Word. I know the bread chart and how many's on the bread chart and you have to hurry. You know, there's great Bible apps for that, by the way. They send you a reminder every day. You're, you haven't gotten caught up. It's not too late. You can get caught up. You're a little behind. They'll send you encouragement. Good job. You read the scripture today. Don't you love it when you check that little box, you get that little hit of endorphin? Does anyone make lists? How many's ever went and accomplished a lot of things throughout the day, and then at the end of the day you made a list, and then you check those things off just to make you feel better? No one's done that before? Okay, maybe one person has done that before. I admit I have done that before. It just makes you feel good. And, 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 and that's not what the Scripture is trying to accomplish, although it's good to read your Bible, and I, I pray and hope that you do every day. But God is not wanting us to rush through Scripture because I believe He's afraid that we're going to miss something significant. See, in Genesis 1, we see it like this. With this polysyndodon here, it's, it's in the beginning God created the heaven. Pause. Contemplate. Oh, my goodness, have you ever stepped out on a night Blackened sky full of diamonds. And stood there staring at those cosmos just thinking, what, what is there? What, what's out there? Oh, I know it's probably difficult with the pollution of, of Houston, but how many's ever been, like pollution of Houston, but how many's ever been out in, in, in nothingness and have looked up on a country road, maybe driving down by Lufkin or something, and, and you look out on that sky and you're like, oh my goodness, look at that. How many's ever seen a shooting star? And, and you've seen the beauty. And can you imagine what the, the, just our eye can see? But have you ever looked through a telescope and looked beyond just, just the galaxy maybe? Or, or even just the moon itself? And, and not even that far from us. But the galaxy, the Milky Way, the stars and the galaxies beyond the planetary system. How incredible God is in all of his creation. And that's why he's writing this in this particular fashion and form. This writer is conveying this idea pause and hesitate and wait and see in the beginning God created the heaven oh isn't it majestic to even think of all that God has created and the beauty in which God created and God doesn't want you to rush through that because there's something powerful and significant in these opening pages of Genesis the spirit of God would have us weigh each word each phrase I believe that we miss out on promises and blessings that have 
been given to us by the word of God because we've, we've not contemplated each word and phrase of his scripture. You see, this is his voice to us. He's writing with great precision here. You see, it's this opening statement that is so significant. It's so powerful. We lived in Alaska for many years, and I love the mountains. I miss the mountains. My father-in-law is born, bred, and raised here in Houston, Texas, worked in the oil refineries as a pipe fitter, and nothing is bigger than Texas, right? And, and Texas is, is grand, and, and, and there's something about Texans, right? That's, you guys have a lot of just confidence in your state, and, and probably rightfully so, and it's the biggest and the best. And, and my father-in-law moved to Alaska to, to be near us, he and my mother-in-law, and, and he was always talking about how big Texas was. And, and he's like, oh, it's not like Texas. Alaska's not like Texas. And finally, I just had enough of it, and I got a map out, and I laid this map out. And Alaskans are the same way as Texans. And I said, Dad, I said, i got to show you something. If you were to cut Alaska in half, Texas would be the third largest state. He looked at that map for a little bit, and that was the end of it. Well, I never heard about Texas again. <laughs> Have you ever stood upon a mountain vista and looked out over a valley, seen a glacier river run down the middle of it? Or maybe you've been down on the coast and you've stood on the sandy beach and watched the sunset on a beautiful spring evening. Possibly you've stood and, and seen these mountains that are here in the state of Texas, and it's so diverse. The geography is so beautiful and amazing if you look at the arid desert and the hot, humid climates. and You're blessed with this beautiful state. Can you just contemplate what all God created just by speaking it into existence? You see, you begin to look at what God has done and, and it's no wonder that God wants you to pause and to think about the heaven and the earth. To contemplate what he's formed and fashioned. Creation is absolutely amazing and beautiful in itself. But it's not creation that God is so connected to, no. At least not the creation that we look upon. You see, the apple of God's eyes, so to speak, what his favorite part of creation is not the mountains. It's, it's not the ocean. It's not the birds in the sky or, or the land animals that dwell. It's none of that. But God's creation, the masterpiece of God's creation is you. You are the masterpiece. God did not breathe the breath of life into any other being except mankind. God did not shape and form it with his hands except mankind. And so in these beginning portion of scripture, God is trying to get us to that place of understanding that God created. He created everything that we see and everything that we experience. But what God is most favorable to and what God is most dear to his heart is you and I. You are a masterpiece of God's creation. And so there it is in the opening statement of Scripture. You see, there's no attempt made to water it down, to apologize to a skeptic age, to prove that God is. Scripture deems certain that these truths be self-evident. And first and foremost, God is stating that He is. In one sublime statement right here, in the beginning, God he sweeps aside atheism by asserting that he exists. Polytheism and Trinitarian by declaring himself to be one. 
pantheism by separating himself from matter. God states that unequivocally right here. In the beginning, God, he began to crush this, every authority that Satan would try to take over creation or mankind. He begins to show himself supreme, that there is no one beside him and no one like him. There is no one as powerful as our God. There is no one that sits on the throne but our God. He is one. He is Lord. And his name is Jesus. Aren't you glad the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament? And that is the God that you serve. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. God is able to do exactly what he states that he can do. God is. That's it. Something most beautiful happens in this passage of Scripture. We begin to see more than 55 times in Genesis this word bara or create shows up constantly. Now bara is a rather fascinating word. It's, it shows up in the word create, but it's real true meaning. Bara is something so powerful beyond just simply create. Wilbur Smith, a theologian, made this statement. He said, men can make things, which is asha, and form things, which is yetzah, but only God can bara. You look at this beautiful building that we live in, and this building or we, we dwell in right now, this building didn't just happen because a hurricane swept through a lumber yard. It didn't just come together. The winds blew, and, and everything was floating around in a circle, and when it stopped, there was this building. Drywall, paint, carpet, chairs. Wow, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I wish God would just send one over by my neighborhood and build a new house for me. That would be perfect, you know. See, man had to have his hand in this. See, they had to what? They had to prepare the ground and get the grading right, and uh, they had to pour the footers, and then the foundation, and and then they had to build the pony walls, and and then they begin to build and frame this building in. It probably took hours and hours. Maybe some of you were a part of the process. And, and, and maybe there's some places in here you can say, yeah, I remember when I, I drywalled, I taped that seam. I, I, you remember some of those things where, oh, man, we, we, we did a remodel pro, remodeling project not too long ago. And, and the night before our first service in the remodeling, they're fixing some lights. And somebody, I, I don't know how it happened, but had a can of black spray paint and and they just tossed it on the platform. And when they were driving the lift across the platform, they ran over the spray paint. And that thing exploded and black paint shot all the way across the platform on that light gray carpet. And there was a panic. They began to call everybody at 1130 at night trying to figure out how do we fix this, our first service. And, oh, you know what? It's man just messes things up constantly, don't we? But you see, men can make things, but they have to start with material. We can form things, but we have to start with something. But here's what God does. God doesn't have to have anything because bara simply means to make out of nothing. Oh, you hear me? You know what's so beautiful about this thought and idea? is simply this, that God can make something out of absolutely nothing. That means when the enemy comes and tries to tell you that you're a mistake, that you're not worth anything, and God can't do anything with you, you can look at him and say, you are a liar, devil, because God can take nothing and make something out. You don't even understand. You see my mistakes and the mess of my life that I've made, it doesn't matter because God can create and he can recreate. Oh, he doesn't have to take the, 
the stuff that I've already messed up. God can form something out of absolutely nothing. That means your life is not a mistake. Your life is not over. That God has just begun a good work. Satan has no authority. He cannot stop what God has started. You don't have to walk into church and have everything perfect and figured out. God can take where you are. He can take your hurt. He can take your pain. He can take every mistake. He can take your history that you want to bury and not even talk about. And God can say it doesn't matter who you were or what you've done. I can create out of nothing something that is beautiful and usable by the kingdom of God. I'm not much of an artist. I've started to appreciate the arts. I, uh, my wife has done a good job raising me since we've been married. And she has, she has given me uh, an appreciation for fine things. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just as simple. I grew up in a town of 1,500 people in the middle of nowhere. And uh, when, she, when I met my wife, she was amazing. She traveled all over the world as a missionary. We're in the Philippines and then Greece. And, and they just did everything. And I'd never, I'd never even, I'd never been out of the United States. I just, I just didn't know that I needed to, you know. And, uh, but, but she was trying to help me. And, and, uh, and she's done a wonderful job. And she's given me appreciation for art. And uh, when, when I met her, she said, uh, she asked me what my dreams and goals. And she wanted to be an interpreter for the United Nations and learn 17 languages and, and travel the world. And, and she speaks Tagalog and Greek, and, and, uh, and it's all Greek to me. And, and uh, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, honestly, my dream is to be a, uh, a hunting guide and to homestead a piece of property. And that was it, brother. And... Uh, and I thought those were lofty dreams. And she was like, oh, this, it needs a lot of work. And she has done a good work. And so she's, she's helped me. And my oldest son is an artist. He likes to paint. And he's, he's very good at creating things. And, and so we recently went to uh, an exhibit called the Van Gogh exhibit. And it was really fascinating. And, and uh, I walked into that, that museum. And it was a room maybe about this size. And they had projectors mounted all over to where uh, all of Vincent Van Gogh's paintings were were being projected on the floor and, and the wall and the ceiling. And, and I thought very quickly that I'm in the wrong place because these are not my people. And uh, because there were people that were lying on the floor. They were walking around so contemplative and in amazement. And it made no sense at all to me. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. These are not, these are not my folks. And, uh, but as I began to walk around that room and look at these paintings, it took me a while, but... But they begin to make sense because it was on a reel that they would scroll through the different paintings of Vincent Van Gogh. And, and, and honestly, before it was over, I, I was lying on the floor. And I was looking up at the ceiling and I'm like, okay, I can appreciate this. You know, it's, it, this, this man took, took blobs of colored paint and made something that's recognizable. That's impressive to me. I can't do that. That's that's. You, you, that may be nothing for you. You can just do that in your spare time. And, uh, but that's amazing to me. And, and so at the end of it, I thought, wow, it's incredible. And, and Vincent Van Gogh, the story began to unfold as I walked through the museum. And he was a pauper. He, he, was, he was homeless at some times, had no money to speak of, never sold a painting the entire time that he was alive. But yet he, he gave his life to his art. His brother, who was very well off, supported him and bought him a house and 
for him to live in, gave him money for food and provided for him. And Vincent Van Gogh was very troubled by this. And he went through ups and downs and bouts of depression. Maybe you've even seen the painting of where it's a self-portrait with a bandage on his ear. The story is rather conflicted. Many different people theorize on it, on exactly why he cut his ear, but possibly it was because of depression or even suicidal thoughts. He wrote this to Theo in 1888, this letter. He said, I can do nothing about it if my paintings don't sell. The day will come, though, when people will see that they are worth more than the cost of the paint. But yet, poor Vincent Van Gogh never sold one painting while he was alive. At his death, a penniless pauper, his brother arrived in the hundreds of paintings, some even in frames. He pulled out of that small apartment and took them down to an art gallery. The owner of the art gallery was so kind and he displayed them for a while, but no one purchased those paintings. and They were placed in the back room and covered up with tarps. Until years later, a very well-off landowner walked in and said, I, I, need, I need a new painting for my collection. And it was in the era of Renaissance where beautiful expressions, those Renaissance expressions were being painted by every artist in that area. He looked through the entire gallery, not finding what he was looking for. And finally, finally he turned to that gallery owner and said, Is there not anything else that you have? Oh, of course, I've got a back storage room and you're welcome to go through it. They're under some tarps, but spend as much time as you want because he knew that this wealthy man had deep pockets. So in the back he went and began to look through. And it wasn't long before he removed the tarp and pulled out this painting that caught his attention. It was not like anything that he'd ever seen before. He called the owner of the gallery and said, this is the one I, I have to have this painting. And he purchased it for a large amount of money. And it was from that moment on that something began to change with the paintings of Van Gogh. Recently, Christie's auction a few years back sold a piece, I think it was $64 million dollars. Or an original Van Gogh. But you see, throughout his life, they were worth nothing. And it was not until the death of the artist that his masterpiece became recognized by the people in the art community. We turn to John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished. Verse 30. He said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. You see what was happening is it was the death of the artist in Van Gogh that caused his paintings to become priceless. But it was the death of the master artist for the world to see his greatest masterpiece was not the creation that we live in but you. You see when the enemy comes at you and tells you that your past is your failure. That you'll never be able to traverse through that. You'll never be able to overcome it. That it will mark you from this day and has marked you and will continue the rest of your life. That is an absolute lie of the enemy. Because God does not paint junk. 
God does not paint worthless, worthless masterpieces. And when someone looks at you and tells you that there's no good in you and you're worthless and you're a mistake and you shouldn't even be around, you know what you need to do? You need to tell the enemy, get thee behind me, Satan, because you have no idea what God is doing in my life. You see, I'm here to tell somebody that you need to lift yourself up on occasion and you walked into church and you're not bound by your past or your lineage and there's no generational curse on you because God is not through painting your masterpiece you are greater than what you can ever imagine because when God painted this world that we live in it does not capture what God painted in your life and what God can do through you oh hear me ladies and gentlemen the masterpiece of God's creation is every living breathing human being there's not anyone that should ever be discarded or put away because God isn't through and if your past still haunts you today you can be covered by his blood God can forgive you at this altar of every sin that you have committed. God can baptize you in his blood going under in complete immersion in the name of Jesus and you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues and at the new birth, the death of the master artist, God creates something that is priceless in his eyes. And so I'm preaching to somebody that you need to rise up out of your self-pity. You need to push through anxiety and fear. You need to forget about your past and your lineage. It doesn't matter if grandpa was an alcoholic and grandmother and grandfather and great-grandfather. You need to rise above because God has not finished painting your masterpiece. Oh, I wonder, I wonder what God is doing even today as he dips that horsehair paintbrush in some paint and begins to put that final touch upon that painting your life being displayed for men and women to see that there is mercy and there is grace oh you know what happens when you walk out of church and you're identified as an apostolic it's God displaying his masterpiece to the world around you you are an identity you are identity of Christ God has said you are my creation you represent me that's why when you walk into your job you're not just walking in as just an average employee but you're walking in as a masterpiece of what God can do because if God can forgive you and God can recreate you and God can set you on a specific path if he can do that for you he can do that for every living human being somebody lift your hands right now and call out on the name of Jesus in your name mighty God Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, I had a young man walk into my office, say, Pastor, there's been generational curse placed upon my family for generations. Every male in my family has been dead at age 26. He said, I'm approaching in one year my 26th birthday. He said, it goes back as far as we can remember. Great, great, great grandfather, dead at 26. He said, I probably will not live. Oh, but God said, I'm not finished painting his masterpiece because what he had in his life was not what they had in theirs. He had the blood that was recreating who he was. It was breaking the chain of a generational curse. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not who you used to be. Oh, let me tell you, God delivered you out of alcohol. He's delivered you from drugs. God's picked you up from adultery. God's placed your feet on a firm foundation. The enemy does not have authority. God is in control. Mighty God, mighty God. 
Oh, let me finish the story. He's almost 40 years old today. And guess what? God broke the curse of that generation. Oh, hear me. What can God do? What can God do? Some of you don't give up on your children. Don't you give up on your grandchildren. Don't give up on your spouse. Don't give up on your own life. You lay your head down tonight in your bed and you say, God's given me another day. God's blessed me with another day. Come on, tomorrow is a new day. God's still completing my masterpiece. You may not have fulfilled every dream that you had as a young teenager, but it's not time to stop dreaming because God has not finished painting. I need to hurry. I'm, I'm closing. I'll tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Andy Nyman. I met Andy years ago. Andy, pers- Andy personally told me his story. He said, I, I, I grew up in a mess. He said, you, you, you probably won't even believe it. There are parts of the story, to be honest with you, Pastor Trimble, I did not believe. It seemed almost unbelievable. But I trust Andy. I, I trust him. I trust him with my life. I would trust him with my kids' life. And he told me, he said, I was born into a home that was so dysfunctional. He was born in a small village in Carmax, Yukon, Canada. And he, uh, he said, I never knew my dad. He said, I met him one time by accident and realized years later that that was my father. My mother was a drug addict. An alcoholic, and he said the abuse started then at such a young age that the government stepped in and, and took him away from his own home. He was placed in, a, in an orphanage. They call them um, boys' homes. It was all throughout the Yukon territories. They would put him in these boys' homes. It was later described by the Canadian government and parliament as they began to talk about the atrocities that were done at some of these homes. And the particular home that Andy was placed in, they said the director of that, this man was a monster predator. They had never seen someone to that degree. And the abuse started almost instantly when Andy got there. Andy said it was horrific. We, we tried to run away, and some of the boys did. Some of the older boys took some of the younger boys, and they ran away, and they went down to a village downriver. They broke into a little grocery store type thing, and they stole candy and whatever else they could get, and grabbed bottles out of the cooler and, and ran. And he said, at six years of age, that's when my first taste of alcohol. And he said, I realized that at that moment that, that if I drank enough of it, I wouldn't remember what would happen that night. And he said, so this became a common practice. We would break out, we would steal. He said, I would drink as much as I could so I would pass out. And I wouldn't remember the abuse. Andy eventually ran away. He was a young teenager when he finally had enough nerve and was finally able to. He ran away and ends up in Vancouver, British Columbia. He said, for 22 years I lived on the street. I was a heroin, cocaine addict, an alcoholic. He'd been in prison multiple times. He said, I lived my life because I had to erase the memory. He said, I lived in a stupor, in a numbed state because I was damaged goods. That's what he told me. I was damaged goods and I could not... I couldn't lay my head down and let those memories course through. He said, so my whole quest was to get enough into my system that I would forget. He said, but it got harder and harder. He said, I never came down from a high. He said, I I would steal batteries from a gas station, sell them at a bar. And I would go into the park and purchase my drugs, take them back to this little closet that was in this broken down apartment complex, a dirty stained mattress and a wash basin was all that he had. 
He said, this particular day, I stole the batteries, sold them, and I was making my way to the park, and I purchased my drugs. And as I turned and walked out, he said, there was a man that was standing there. He said, hey, how you doing? Andy said, I'm good. Didn't want to make contact with him. He said, hey, my name is Mike. What's your name? I'm, I'm Andy. Well, Andy, it's good to meet you. He said, hey, Andy, I, I need to tell you something. He said, um, Jesus loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He said, Andy, I, I want to ask you, is there anything I can pray for you about? And Andy said, I didn't even know what to ask, so I just thought, well, this is whatever. Uh, ask God to, to bless my life, to help me to get off drugs. And, and if my mom's still alive, just bless my mom and my family. He, the guy said, close your eyes. And so Andy closed his eyes. And he said, my eyes are closed. And I felt something on my forehead. His hand was on my forehead. And he said, I got really nervous because I didn't know what was going on. This man put his hand on his forehead and began to pray. And he said, he is praying about everything that I asked him to. And he said, and at the end of his prayer, he said, God help Andy find no pleasure in the drugs that he does. Amen. Jesus' name, amen. He said, and the guy walked off. He said, he, he walked down the street and turned into this blind alley. It's a box alley. He said, I, I, I've eaten out of the dumpsters. That's all that's in that alley. There's no windows and there's no doors. He said, I'm watching that guy go into that alley. And I'm thinking, what did he mean by that last phrase? Help Andy find no pleasure. And so I thought I'd ask him. And he said, I, I moved down that road as fast as I could. My broken feet, my body. He's six foot two. He, he didn't even weigh 100 pounds. He was just so emaciated and broken. And he made his way down and he looked into that blind alley and there was no one there and Andy says I don't, I don't even know if it was a real person to be honest with you it could have could have been an angel, an angelic being he said I, I just brushed it out of my mind and I went back to my room and he said I take that spoon and begin to heat that brown rock up and I find that dirty used hypodermic needle he said and I begin to try to get that syringe in there and my hands are shaking from withdrawal so bad it spills out onto the floor I get so angry and and I'm so mad. And he said, and all of a sudden that voice speaks. It's a voice I've never heard. And that voice says, help Andy find no pleasure in the drugs that he does. He said, and I'm, I'm looking around trying to find out who said that. And he said, I, I, I put more in there and I, I heat it up. And he said, now I finally get it into the syringe. And I, I place it into my vein and push that plunger down. And he said, and nothing happens. I thought I'd missed the vein. And he said, no, it was in the vein. And and that voice speaks again, help Andy find no pleasure in the drugs that he does. And he said, and by now, I'm shaking and I'm convulsing so badly, I can't even roll a joint to smoke it to try to get some relief. And, and that voice speaks again, help Andy find no pleasure in the drugs that he does. And he said, all of a sudden, I'm almost forced onto my face and, and tears are flowing. And I'm crying out. And I said, if that's you, God... You've got to help me. And he said, I felt something embrace me in love like I've never experienced. He said, I felt for the first time the presence of God. He said, and I knew it, and I start to weep uncontrollably. And I said, God, you've got to help me to break free of addiction. And he said, I'll, I'll call the drug rehab center just down the street that has a six-month waiting list. And if it's God, he'll get me in there. And he walks down the hallway and picks up that payphone and makes a collect call to the drug rehab center. And they answer and accept the charge. He said, that was miracle number one. He said, hey, hey, this is Andy Nyman. And I've got to get off drugs. Can, can I get in there? And this guy on the other end said, Andy, this is your lucky day. Five minutes before you called, 
somebody packed their stuff up and walked out. He said, if you can be here in less than 10, the bed has your name on it. Andy knew that God is working something out. He said, I didn't even hang the phone up. I dropped it and I ran, walked as fast as I could all the way down to the drug rehab center. When I walked in, they were waiting on me. They had blankets and a pillow and a towel and they said, welcome Andy Nyman. Let me show you to your room. And They said, right down here is a shower. Would you like to shower? And Andy said, it's been 20 plus years since I've had a bath or a shower. He said, I went, I took a shower and I came back. He said, and there it was on my bed, a, a New Testament and, and my little room set up and he goes, I picked up that Bible, begin to flip through it. I didn't know what to read. I didn't know where to go. He said, but as I begin to read, I realize that I'm a sinner and God has to forgive me. He said, and I put that New Testament down on that bed and I kneeled and began to pray, God, forgive me of my sins. He said, and I no more spoke that out and tears begin to flow and I felt again the presence of God. He said, but all of a sudden I, I begin to smell something that I, I couldn't even imagine. He said, and, and, and as I begin to sniff, he said, my stomach growled and I thought, what, what, what is happening? And he said, and I stood up and, and my stomach growled again and he said, I realized that for, for more than 20 years I was experiencing panger, a hunger, a, a hunger pains and he thought, this is, this is unbelievable and he said, I, I followed my nose down the hallway and I walked into the cafeteria and they've got bacon and eggs and coffee and he said, and my stomach started growling and I realized, I, I've got to have food now and he said, you, maybe some of you don't understand, this is an absolute miracle. He walks over and they, they give him bacon and eggs and, and he eats all of that and eats several plates and he says, I took that coffee, there's the best stuff I've ever drank in my life and it was scolding my mouth, he said, but I didn't even care and Andy was a drug addict for 22 years and at repentance God completely delivered him and Andy never suffered from any addiction or withdrawal it was completely gone God gave him a miracle at repentance oh hear me God can set you free and deliver you at repentance alone when you ask God forgive me he can pull those things that should not be and God can write your story oh, I can't stop there I'm trying to close Maybe if the musicians come, that would help me. You see, Andy, he said, I, I've got to go back and see if my family's alive. He, he didn't know, he hadn't heard from his mom in 20 plus years. And he said, I just wonder. And so he made his way back. And he was in Whitehorse, and so he was asking around. He said, hey, does anybody know the, the Nyman family? And someone said, oh, yeah, Mrs. Nyman, she lives at such and such a place. And, and they thought, oh, maybe it's my mom. Could she be alive? So Andy made his way to that part of town, and he said, when I stepped on the street, I realized this is not my mom's street. He said, there were beautiful homes and picket fence. He said, my mom's an addict. She lives, she lives in other places. He said, but I thought, well, maybe she's a relative, and, he, and she would know. And so he walks through the picket fence up to the porch and knocks on the door. He said, the door opened. There's this most beautiful lady he'd ever seen. As soon as he laid eyes on her, she started crying. She said, Andy. And he said, Mom, what happened to you? And she said, oh, Andy. She said, years ago, I found a Pentecostal church. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. And he's turned my life around. And she said, Andy, we thought you were dead. He said, Mom, I've been living on the streets. He said, but I, I think I found Jesus. He said, well, Andy, have you followed the scripture? And you've repented. He said, I have. She said, have you been baptized in Jesus' name and filled the Holy Ghost? He said, no, I, I don't know anything about that. She said, we're starting a Bible study. And Pastor Ted Wagner is going to come over. And he's going to teach you. And that night after the Bible study, 
they took him back to the church and baptized Andy in the name of Jesus. And he came up out of the water speaking in an unknown language that the Spirit of God gave the evidence. And you know what God was doing? He was painting Andy's masterpiece. Because masterpieces are not something that are done overnight. And Andy was in his 30s when this happened. But God said, Andy, I'm not finished with you. You see, Andy went back and got his degree. And he's a psychologist now. But more importantly, Andy's life completely turned around. And God placed a calling upon him. And he said, I've got to start a church in Carmax, Yukon. The very community that he grew up in. And Andy Nyman went back to Carmax. And he said, I'm knocking on doors. Going to invite people to my church. And I stand on the porch of this cabin. And I'm knocking. And I'm like, this looks very familiar familiar and he realizes oh no he said I've been here before he said but the last time I was here I passed out drunk on this poor lady's porch and they called the Canadian Mounties and took me to jail he said but today I'm knocking on her door saying would you like to come to my church because I'm the Pentecostal preacher that's in town we were there just a few months after that and we gathered together maybe about 40 45 people from that community came in to an outdoor arena and I watched them as they came down after Andy Nyman finished preaching I watched multiple people walk down to the front God filled them with the gift of the Holy Ghost they were baptized in the Yukon River I'm telling you God wasn't finished with Andy's story he was painting the masterpiece oh but there's some people in this room saying well that happened for Andy that was good for Andy but that could never happen for me I'm telling you no that's not the way it works God is no respecter of persons and he's not looking about what you have done or, or what you're currently doing. God is saying there's more, there's more. There's a masterpiece that I'm trying to create in your life. Is there anybody here that would stand to your feet saying, I want God to complete my masterpiece. I want God to finish my story. I want God to complete something inside of me. Come on, this altar is open. You don't have to stay in your pew. But if there's a desire and you're not happy or content where you are or what the enemy tells you that you are, you need to step out and say, God, I need you to complete the masterpiece of my life. God, I need you to break addiction. I, I need you to send healing. There's people here that you're hurting. There's been a lot of pain in your past. You've been abused and you've been discarded. And maybe your story was so connected to Andy's story, it was scary. And guess what? God is saying, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to complete you. I'm going to heal you. Oh, come on. Somebody lift your hands and begin to call out on that name that is above every name. Somebody let God's spirit begin to do a word. Somebody say this, God, complete my masterpiece. The devil is nothing more than a liar and he's the father of all lies and he's trying to destroy me and hinder me and keep me but God is not finished yet. Oh, that's it in the name of Jesus. Oh, that's it. Somebody begin to pray. Begin to pray your heart. Open up and begin to speak it out. Saying, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. I need you to change me and to transform me. I need you to do a work in my life. God, I'm not content with where I am. I'm not just happy with half-fulfilled dreams. But God, I need you to complete the work. Fulfill the masterpiece. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, that's it. Come on, with some of you that have been in church for a while, would you go lay hands on someone and begin to pray? Would some of you begin to minister one to another? Come on, build hope. Encourage someone. Lift them up. Let them know that God isn't finished. Come on, God isn't finished. Your story is beginning. Your story isn't over. The enemy will not triumph. 
but God is in control. Come on, he's able. He's able. 